Ha. 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 What is up, freaks? I just recorded like half an ad and didn't hit record. Uh, introducing the episode with Matthew Mazinkshus. We had a quarterly monetary base update, Q3 2021. More money printing, more inflation, more monetary supply inflation. We're seeing price inflation as well, more tyranny. Always a great conversation. Some good jokes, some good laughs, good powwow, and some very strong signal in this episode. It was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's here to help you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, and sell sets, if you so please. We're saying sets, 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 sets. Because sats are the standard, okay? There's 100 million sats in one whole Bitcoin. You don't have to stack a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to stack a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can stack whole sats instead. Cash App makes it very easy. They've got cashback boost. Uh, you can set price limits. If it hits, the price falls, it hits it. You want to buy there and you can automatically execute. Uh, Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers. It's a beautiful app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, make sure you use the code Stacking Sats, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. $10 going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> Owls Lacrosse. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. This is uh, the best way they do this is with their Vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys. Unchained holds one. You always have complete control of your Bitcoin. But if you ever need Unchained to be there, to be the second in the two or three signature, they're there for you. They were a partner. They don't see you as an input in an Excel spreadsheet. They see you as a valued partner. Okay. And they're going to be, their, their goal is to help you secure your wealth for generations. If you want to get started with the Vault product specifically, they have a white glove concierge service. It's going to take you from zero to having a multi-sig Vault set up with sats, a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in it. At the end of the day, they're going to multiple video conference calls with you. They're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to set the Vault up again. They're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats into the Vault at the end of the day. Uh, again, this is to eliminate single points of failure. You don't want to hold your coins on an exchange. That's a single point of failure. If you have your coins in a single SIG wallet, single point of failure. If you lose your wallet and your backup, you are shit out of luck. Distribute your risk. Think about doing an Unchained Vault. All right, go check it out at Unchained.com. This trip is also brought to you by good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into the mining game. All right, the way they do this is they allow you to uh, go to CompassMining.io. You can buy an ASIC, have it sent to your house, uh, and then... Once you have it at your house, they have an at-home support team that is going to tell you the electrical infrastructure you need set up to get it plugged in, uh, how to connect your miner's IP and how to point that at a mining pool, uh, the whole shebang. They have incredible content as well. They have a mailing uh, email newsletter, a podcast. Uh, they're creating documentaries. Uh, you have the ability also to buy an ASIC, have it plugged in at a partner um, hosting facility. Uh, at, at competitive electricity rates. There have been delays with their South Carolina facility. They're working through those delays. They only have 700 customers out of many thousands who are uh, yet uh, to be served there. Uh, but they're working through that and hope to have redundancy on that side of things in 2022. Go check out everything at compassmining.io. This rip is also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains is the team behind Slushpool. I saw Edward Evenson, that scumbag. Um, 
on Twitter, just like making fun. Oh, every day everybody's asking me when what's minor. Like, well, why is pool locked down? Like, uh, I have one pet hash. Let's partner. You know what, Ed? That's your job. Why don't you stop complaining, okay? And crack the whoop, whoop. Get the brains of uh, OS Plus firmware on what's miners, please. I want to stack more sats with my hash, which is what brains OS Plus firmware allows you to do. If you have an ASIC, that's compatible. If you have a what's miner, unfortunately, it's not compatible yet, but hopefully soon, TM, uh, you're going to be able to stack more sats with your hash because the auto-tuning frequency, the auto-tuning firmware f- focuses higher frequencies on higher frequency chips. Uh, that allows you to stack more sats. I just butchered that, but whatever. You guys get the drift, Okay. Uh, on top of that, they have insights.brains.com, which they just launched. If you're looking for a, uh, a consolidated place for minor stats, profitability stats, um, break-even stats, hash rate stats, pool stats, insights.brains.com. That's B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. This room is also brought to you by good friends at HODL. HODL, HODL, HODL is back. They have fixed their lending platform. All right, they 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 had a they had a little hiccup there, and they fixed it, and they're back. They got V two of their lending platform, and they're here um, to give you a P to P, a peer to peer Bitcoin back lending platform where you can lend or borrow Bitcoin globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. You borrow stable coins against your Bitcoin, uh, and you can control the collateral in escrow throughout the whole deal. You hold a key, your counterparty holds a key, Hoddle Hoddle holds a key. Uh, you know that your Bitcoin collateral isn't being moved out because you have that key, you have visibility in there. Uh, and then on the other side, if you have stable coins, you want to earn interest on them, you can put them up in this marketplace as well uh, and lend them out to get a yield uh, from the Bitcoin or, or excuse me, from the Bitcoiners putting their Bitcoin up as collateral and paying back that loan uh, as time goes on. You're going to get a yield on those stable coins if you use them and, and they're looking to get yield there. So go check that out at lend.hodlhodl.com. Enjoy this rip freak. It's always a pleasure speaking with my good friend, Matty Majinxus. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's a beautiful Tuesday morning here in Austin, Texas. I'm bundled up. It's a little cold, but it's going to get up to 75 degrees sitting back down. With my good friend on the other side of the planet, Maddie Mazinxius. Maddie, how are you doing? Doing well, Marty. Doing very well. Nice to speak with you. It's this, nice. uh, this cold evening here. Snow on the ground here. And um, yeah, winter's feels like it's setting in. And uh, it's definitely getting colder here. It's weird here in Austin. It's very cold in the morning. Then it gets hot in the afternoon. I don't know how to dress. I'm probably going to be sweating by the end of this conversation. Um, <laughs> but we shall see. We're here. Uh, doing our quarterly check-in on the global monetary base, Q3 2021. Uh, You posted this, gosh, probably three weeks ago at this point, so we're not as timely as we have been in quarters past, but better late than never. The world is changing. They're not stopping the the money printing. Omnicron is here. The, the, uh, The probability of tapering here in the U.S. and probably globally has just been eliminated 
Um, but let's let's not focus on the future. Let's focus on Q3 2021. Um, Car, if you could pull up the thread, I guess we'll jump right into it. What uh, what do you have to say, Maddie? Um, off the bat, anything you want to get off your chest? Should we should we do as we always do? Uh, just a brief synopsis of this update, why you do it, and how yeah. you calculate monetary yeah. base. Um, I was actually uh, thinking about that recently because um, I'm still trying to, you know, improve this and I'm expanding it with more currencies and uh, just trying to get it to wider audiences and let people understand it. And basically the reason why I'm doing it is, you know, in Bitcoin world, uh, plenty of our guests on our show, your guests on your show, um, a lot of people are versed in Austrian economics, free market economics, you know, classical liberalism and we know a lot of the uh the theory the logical induction of why bitcoin is sound money and it's going to be very good for the world uh we talk about it again and again and it's great it's really important stuff but um you know this body of work which again i do hope to expand on even more um started this a little over three years ago actually this is uh maybe three years and a quarter, this update. Um, this thing is very specific. This is to, you know, we have a lot of good logical induction for Bitcoin and everything, but this is, uh, this is a little empirical induction, little empirical evidence to sort of just set the table and say, okay, we can, we can talk about, you know, inflation, all we want, central bank uh, price inflation and uh, indices and statistics and everything else but um there's a way to kind of structure this uh compared to bitcoin how does bitcoin compare in the fiat normal uh well normal isn't the right word but in the, the compared to the fiat uh, traditional central banking world also even looking at it compared with gold or silver or silver uh so that's that's kind of the genesis of why i did this and um and yeah, so that is looking at the monetary base, which is economically, we're talking about global settlement, Bitcoin settles every 10 minutes. You know, that's why this, all this talk about TPS and Visa, MasterCard, all these things are always, always incorrect. Um, they're not at all like what Bitcoins are like. Bitcoin is global money, settles uh, within 10 minutes globally. So there is a fiat money supply that we can economically compare to that final settlement in the financial system and that's called the monetary base. Um, so you got to just keep, you know, I, I'm happy to do these with you. I do these on our show. I do this with other people as well. You got to keep educating people on these, I think, important facts because the data is there. It's very hard to find. Uh, I'm happy that, you know, you won't find this on the World Bank's website. You won't find this on the Bank for International Settlements. You won't find it on Bloomberg. Uh, no one seems to uh, compile this very important money supply, partly because central bank websites are complete garbage. They're very bad with, you know, APIs or trying to download data. It's very difficult, geo-filtered many times. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge to compile all the data. But once you get it, you get a picture of a money supply that is literally the printing press. It is literally the stock of fiat money that is printed around the world. And that is called the, uh, the monetary base. And this one is interesting because, you know, as I've reported over the years and many people still don't really know to this day, Bitcoin is already the sixth largest currency 
in the world. Uh, and if you stack gold on top of that ranking, it's the seventh. Um, and it's been that way for a couple quarters. Uh, really this year, past the Swiss franc, uh, that was a big one uh, that it passed this year. Uh, there's been some shakeups, a lot, of, a lot of money printing from Canada, Australia, as you might expect. Um, they've been bumped, bumped themselves back into the top 10. They weren't in the top 10 for a while. Uh, and Bitcoin is, yeah, at, at uh, 68,000, basically, it's knocking at the door of, um, of the formerly great British pound. So that's the interesting <laughs> one here. The formerly that's, that's, great. Yeah, that's, that's the interesting takeaway from this, this uh, update. Uh, it's about a trillion pounds at the moment, a trillion ster pounds sterling that is the printing press of the Bank of England. That is the uh, cash, coins, and what you call the commercial bank reserves of each bank in the, in, in the United Kingdom. So that's basically uh, the commercial bank reserve account. Don't get confused. Uh, it's basically every bank's account with the central bank. So there's no deeper level to settle. That is the money supply that you use to settle uh, liabilities and balances uh, across the financial system uh, in the UK and every other central bank in the world basically follows this model. And this is interesting, of course, because the Central Bank of England is the oldest central bank in the world. They're the first really modern central bank. There were other central banks. The Bank of Sweden uh, was founded before the Central Bank of England, but uh, late, 16, late 1600s and on, the Bank of England has uh, basically been representing the, the sovereign of, uh, of, of the UK. And a lot of the modeling of how central banks have worked and public finance has worked and you know financing government deficits a lot of that has uh sort of originated in england um so that's an interesting one and that literally it's, it's probably the most you know successful fiat currency in the world pound sterling uh the oldest longest continuously running fiat currency in the world as we know there's a graveyard of fiat currencies um, and this is the uh so so these are the top 30 floating currencies in the world uh, that are reported on this, this update. And it's about a trillion sterling right now uh, that are outstanding from the Bank of England. And you know that's about $1.3 trillion equivalent. So Bitcoin has re reach, uh, retreated a little bit from when this was launched. Uh, it was very knocking on the door. It was like 65,000 when I pushed this. Um, you know, we retreated a little bit, but the, uh, the story is still the same and it's going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting when it passes the pound. Yeah. I, I think it could happen in Q4 2021. We've got, uh, about what, 32, 33 days left in this year. Uh, if Bitcoin does what yep. it typically does towards the end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised if in, uh, the Q4 2021 update that the Bitcoin finds itself, uh, in fifth place amongst the, the world's base monies. Um, but while we're the last mid-major, the last mid-major, and then above that, we we have obviously the U.S. dollar, uh, the yen, the yuan, uh, and uh, what else would be above it? Euro, euro, yeah, euro. Um, but you got it. That's it. Just big, those four. The big doves. Wait, the big four. Uh, another thing, and when I when I wrote about your update, uh, when you first dropped a car, can you go back up a little bit, a few tweets? And that's just like hilarious. Uh, again, go down. Um, it's like the tweet three. Uh, the 
juxtaposition of Bitcoin as a transparent base money compared to the central banks of the world, which aren't transparent. It's just like funny that we have these entities controlling the money that we use. And again, money is a tool and it is arguably the most important tools, the most important tool that humans interact with. And for some reason, there's a cognitive dissonance where people don't expect transparency from the people controlling the most important tool in the world. And I just thought this was funny. Uh, this was, I love the history lesson in this quarterly update, by the way, on the, on the Bank of England. This, uh, according to the BOA, they disclosed over 90% of our balance sheet by value. And it's just like, hey, we're giving you 90% of an audit, not, not 100%. And I just find that infinitely fascinating that, that the world has gotten to a point where, where people just put up with this. Uh, yeah. And obviously that's yeah. here in America, audit the Fed is a big meme uh, and, and the and it never happens. So the Bitcoin sign guy, the beauty of that meme particularly is the buy Bitcoin, most transparent ledger in the world next to a headline that says Yellen uh, will not allow us <laughs> to audit the Fed. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because, you know, that's, we obviously view that as a pejorative, that statement, and they look at that as like something good. You know, hey, we're, we're giving you 90% of our value here. Uh, it was actually going to be a trivia question for you to start. I, I, I messed it up, but um, I would probably say I've, I've, I've reviewed over like 60 balance sheets of central banks. Uh, it's, it's you know arduous process, very, uh, very exciting. But um, about 60 central bank balance sheets. And I, and I do think that the least transparent is, in fact, actually the Bank of England. Uh, you, you can just imagine the historical baggage that they carry, um, whether it's old funds, old companies, old individuals, old uh, royalty accounts that they have with their bank um, that, as they show you, they're not, they're not completely public about it. How that's broken down, of course, um, you know, I don't know. I don't particularly care, though. I do think the history is interesting. Um, you know, there's famous names, obviously. I mean, like, you know, the Rothschilds, they've famously said that they are only going to work. They, they, they made their name only working with governments, financing governments. They weren't going to mess around with, you know, little, you know, pay, commercial paper issues. They were, they were only working with governments. Um, and, you know, it's just, I'm not trying to be conspiratorial. That's just, that's an interesting name. You, you know that they've interacted with them. Who knows where their, uh, you know, where their uh, loyalties lie, and that's that's the that's the bank of the people. That's the bank that's supposed to protect the, you know, the wealth, the stability, the currency, of uh, of the people. And as we know, uh, it's really not the people. It's more for the sovereign, and it's more for the banks. That's really what central banking is about. So this it's it is definitely an interesting one uh, coming up, knocking on the door of the. Of the Bank of England, um, one other point just to say there about about that. Yes, the audit the Fed uh, bill, of course, um, that Ron Paul has really almost single handedly, I think, in the last you know fifteen years, brought to light. Um, you know, Fort Knox still that's part of the Treasury, of course, but Fort Knox has not been audited really fully ever. Um, they've had audits, but they're not really full. You know, so the gold is likely not there, as many have speculated. And of course, all the gold leasing schemes that the central banks do, where they basically uh, they've sold the gold away to suppress the price, but they have still said that the gold is an asset on their balance sheet when really uh, 
people like you know Gata and a lot of these uh, these uh, nonprofits that have worked in the in the interest historically of gold have recognized that that's really not an asset on their books. That's a, that's a uh, receivable that they're counting as an asset. It's not like it's sitting in the vaults. So <clears throat> I just bring those little points up because yeah, it's really always been this way. We we sort of just you know everybody thinks when they go to the polls or whatever they're talking about their money. Uh, we as Bitcoiners know that money is so not understood that nobody can even cite what the monetary base is. They can't cite data, even though the data is there generally. It's not a blockchain for sure. It's not, uh, you know, you might only get 90% of the balance sheet by value. But there's data there. But actually, the more important point is it's always been vague. Uh, it's always been hidden from the public. They've hated the treatment that Ron Paul gave them, the exposure that Ron Paul gave them. Um, the audit the Fed bill, of course, some things kind of changed, got better, but uh, yeah, you're never going to get a full congressional audit. And there are a lot of historical contracts I, I know to this day. I mean, not going to say I know personally, but I've read enough, listened to enough podcasts with people that are you know, supposedly connected to this stuff that there's just plenty, plenty of monopolized historical financial contracts that are clearly, if you want to talk about rent seeking, those are rent seeking contracts that, um, people are basically uh, enjoying that uh, the rest of us don't have the ability to enjoy. And so that's, that's just an, yeah, I, that's, those are my thoughts there. I think, I think that is a very interesting thing that we're, we're coming past this one, which I, I would probably say the Bank of England is the least transparent central bank uh, that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, the, the Roth, I forget which Rothschild it was, but he's famous for the quote, I care not who the puppet yeah, in in the seat of the president or prime minister is I, I care who controls the money, um, yep. and that's. Uh, they, I think it was Nathan. Nathan was the was the UK one. Yeah. He was the one that was in England. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, there's lots of interesting stories there. Uh, and yeah, it's not just them, of course. I mean, there's yeah, there are, there are many historical families that are involved here, and uh, it's just. It's interesting uh, that that their sort of their balance sheets are finally being, being brought to light. But as we know, many people don't know about this. They don't care about it. They don't. They sure as hell don't go out and try to calculate it. So uh, that's that's what that's what we have tried yeah. to do here. And um, you will find some interesting, you know, revelations if you think about this stuff compared to how how Bitcoin works. Yes. Talking about revelations and the Rothschilds, right? We're having this revelation because you're doing all this research. We had the Ghislaine Maxwell case going on. The Rothschilds are bumping elbows with Epstein and that crew a lot. There's a lot being revealed about these uh, rent seekers, if you will, <laughs> in this day yeah. and age. Yeah. Uh, so That's what they always tell us. We hate the rent seekers. You know, I can't do the free market. Everybody's a rent seeker. Well, I think we have a different interpretation of that. Oh, ooh, look at that. In front of a painting uh, of Satan. Satan summoning his legions with uh, Jacob Rothschild and Mary, Mary, Marina Abramovich. Uh, wasn't expecting this car, but I'm happy you brought it up. People need to know, look, they're flaunting it. They, 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 maybe they might be Satan's, Satanists, Luciferians, who knows? They, may, they might be in a spiritual battle versus good and evil freaks. Uh, I think. don't want to get too into the weeds there. Um, but the way you just described what you've been working on with your updates has sparked, like, in terms of marketing. That's, like, one thing we've always talked about when you come on the show is, like, how do we get this out to more people? And I think leaning into, like, this is 
a specific database where you're going to get data that doesn't exist elsewhere. The banks aren't going to give it to you. The World Bank isn't going to give it to you. We need to lean into that somehow. Um, like, I don't want to think, I think you're doing more important work than the Chapwood Index, but it's something like that. Like, hey, you, you don't want to go get CPI stats, go to Chapwood Index or Shadow Stats um, for, for yeah. more accurate information. Uh, you don't want to go to the Fed's website or the World Bank uh, website to get monetary base information. You need to go to CryptoVoices.com. Yeah, and I would say uh, there's an interesting point there about you know Chapwood and like John Williams. Uh, those sites are great. I think you can definitely learn a lot. Um, the challenge that they face and will always face is that, and and, and frankly, I, it's not a challenge I would ever uh, take on because a CPI index, unfortunately, is a political opinion. It is just, it's always, you know, as John Williams has shown, the definitions have been changed since the 80s. You can get broader based, more interesting, definitely more technologically influenced definitions like Chapwood is doing. But, and, and I respect all that, absolutely nothing bad to say about that. But I would personally never uh, approach that. And I won't ever try to, I am going to try to, I always say this and and wherever I go and I'm, I'm working on expanding it to be more of a dashboard, more interactive on the website, but it's, it takes time. Um, I, I won't, I won't probably, uh, I, I, I definitely won't ever uh, go towards this sort of indexing, pricing, changes in prices because the moment you publish something like that, everybody's just gonna just say, oh, it's bluster from some libertarian, the data isn't good, whatever. Uh, and, and as they, you know, do with John Williams, as they've done with plenty of people. And then, you know, they'll just say, oh, look at our core inflation rate. Inflation is actually this. And you just get this stupid banter about people that, you know, a few people that care about this thing, you know, on Twitter and some, you know, some meat space, some stupid debate. I, I just, I really have a problem with the way that uh, people latch onto CPI. Like that's the story of this year, right? It's, it, finally, it's coming to light. But, oh, you know, what is the number really? The thing that I like about this and the thing that um, I, I think is important that people can look at is like, okay, demand can never really measure, prices you can never really measure because we all have our own CPI index, every one of us. You know, some of us have more healthcare, some of us has more uh, school costs, some of us have more baby care, some of us have more uh, rent fees, some of us have more uh, interest payments on our house. It's, it, every single person has a different CPI index. And so you know that the thing that they're gonna show you from the place that prints the money or those associated agencies that the place that prints the money is going to massage that idea that it, inflation is not bad. So again, that's why I believe prices can't be measured, demand can't be measured. The best thing that we can do is to measure the supply. And the supply is there, it's bad, it's really bad, really, <laughs> really bad in some places. But you can find it, you can paint a picture, and thanks at least to the, you know, relative, let's say, stability of the U.S. dollar in the last 50 years, you can paint a uh, U.S. dollar equivalent of all these money supplies. That's not how I measure the growth. The growth, of course, is euros on euros, yen on yen, Chinese yuan on yuan, yuan on yuan, Korean yuan, whatever, Mexican pesos. But that is corporeal. That is a real thing. That is empirical evidence, empirical data that comes from the horse's mouth, it comes from the central banks themselves. And so to me, that 
it's a, it's, it's surely a supply side look. I'm not saying it's anything more than a supply side look. And it, to be fair, if, if, if uh, demand rose with supply, then prices wouldn't change. The question is if price, if supply goes crazy as it does often, uh, you know, what, what, what can we infer from that? So it's just a supply side analysis, but it's, it's, it's as real as you can get, um, you know, rather than trying to argue about the definition of what CPA, some CPI index means. Yeah, you're getting to the signal. And I like this because you're avoiding the potential for anybody to go and say, ah, the, let's argue about semantics. Like, no, here are the numbers. Here's the base layer, the monetary base, and every, every unit of every currency that's been printed between now and the last update. Like, let's face these facts. These are facts. You can go yeah. find this data. I found the data. I've consolidated it for you to paint a picture for you. And like you mentioned, it's the big theme of this year is inflation going up significantly. I mean, even though CPI is a bastardized index that tries to temper uh, actual inflation numbers, <laughs> even with those attempts, it's, it's getting pretty high. I believe the last print year on year was what, 6.2% in November or yeah. October. Um, and then, uh, like I said, uh, yeah, something like that. in the Eurozone, yeah. car, you can pull that tweet up. Uh, the, they just had their inflation numbers highest on record at 4.9% November since the records began in 97. Um, so, so it's a global phenomena. It's happening all around the world. Like I mentioned earlier, Omicron, a new variant. Oh my God, a fucking virus mutates. And now we have to shut down the global economy again, potentially. Yeah. Uh, a quick sidebar to that. Sorry. Sorry. Quick sidebar. Like go for it. Yeah. You know, you have to love how the country that uh, was transparent, real, normal, scientific, released the variant. Immediately, the world just decides to shut down from them. <laughs> right. And like, that's like such a problem. They were transparent, real and normal about showing that, you know, this is something. They didn't say anything if it's good or bad or whatever. And the whole world discriminates against them. And I just love, I mean, again, I've said this before, but, you know, if you want to blame someone for this virus, you don't have to look farther than the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, hospitals in Wuhan in 2019 double, triple the car parking lot uh, exposure from, 20, from 2018. This is Harvard studies, all this stuff. I mean, again, this is not like that there. Yes, we don't know if it would uh, if we contain it, but there's something there's there's it's a lot to be said about a transparent government. And um, I just found it amazing that this is the world reaction to South America, to South Africa is, uh, is is just, you know, shut it down. This is just awful. Meanwhile, they're being transparent. We don't know anything that's happening in, in Wuhan. It, you know, the whole lab leak theory, whatever. I it's mean, not like, a theory. Like it's, that's what happened. It, I, like, I know. Like, we have to call this a theory. And that it's if you want to blame anyone, there is a communist, dictatorial, <laughs> awful government, you know, hides their tennis players and, you know, just does all sorts of awful things. Uh, awful things to people and abuses human rights every other day. Again, it has nothing to do with the Chinese people. But again, I just have to do that sidebar because I just I love no. the reaction that we gave to South Africa versus like well, how what we should have been doing and people were calling for in like you know early 2020. Uh, and it's clear now that in 2019 this stuff was going out of control there, and no one knew. No one could you know you have to hide this or you like. What is this for your world prestige? You're going to hide this? I mean, this is well, what communist dictatorial 
autocrat governments do. Well, I'm going to sidebar your sidebar and that communist dictatorial autocratic government was working with like the NIH and Anthony Fauci. They fucking funded the research that was going on in that lab to do gain of function to create this particular virus. Like, and you, there's plenty of videos. Like there was a video that came out from like 2016 of a doctor saying like, we figured out how to take the spike protein out of the bat and like put it into like a human cell. Like, Really? Like an American, yeah. Like it's it's all out in the open. Like, and, yeah. and we're here, like, oh, like let's let's just put our heads in the sand and pretend like none of this happened. Like, you, you literally funded the research, produced the virus. Virus leaked uh, yeah. <laughs> months after you did like a a pandemic, uh, pandemic war game. The event two ten. Uh, it's just, I'm crazy though. Yeah. I'm crazy. Let's get back. I to know a lot of it's been talked about. Uh, uh, you point out a lot of it. Plenty of people want to point out a lot of it. We don't have to go down those rabbit holes, but it's just, again, look at who is hiding the data. Look at who is being non-transparent. And I'm not talking about any individual person. I'm not gonna, talking about the people of that country. I'm talking about communist, dictatorial, asshole governments. That's who you got to be worried about. I know a lot of people are, you know, uh, in, in many governments around the world suffering right now. Uh, pe people are suffering from the government. Not good. It's definitely not good. But um, well, well, uh, it's just—it's amazing the transparency can't be like sort of a something that's championed here. Don't worry, freaks. We we always do this towards the end of this episode where we elaborate on the uh, rising authoritarianism throughout the world towards the end of the update. We're going to get back to because I have a lot of things to say and we have a lot uh, to touch on in those regards. But before we get too deep in the weeds of uh, the impending yeah. global authoritarianism and dystopian future, that's ever so quickly creeping into our lives let's let's go through the monetary base update um we'll have you walk yeah, us through you had it on there uh you had on there slide 16 mm -hmm. tweet tweet 16 oh that one's good sorry we can go back to that one we can go back to that one first sorry um so this is just an interesting little one uh these are the main ones so we click the chart to, i don't know if anyone can even read this but i'll explain uh so can, can you click this the picture card? exhibit yeah there we go yeah, so this exhibit covers current base money, which is uh, fiat currency, covers historical base money, which is gold and silver, and it also covers, as I say, likely possible future base money, which is Bitcoin. So in this, we're just looking at Bitcoin, again, US dollar equivalent for the first three bars, uh, where uh, Bitcoin sits. So Bitcoin, uh, compared to all the uh, above ground, not industrialized silver, as best as I can find it, as best as other people can report, we're about 174% of that stock. So Bitcoin passed that actually this year. It passed that this year for the first time. It never passed it before. A lot of people said that. They were talking about year annual production of silver. It was wrong. This is, they, they finally passed silver. Bitcoin, Bitcoin finally passed silver this year as far as that goes. Gold, you see we're at about 12% of that. So that shows you roughly around 10 trillion. Gold, Marty, did you want to, I'm holding up oh, my gold ring. Gonna... My gold ring falls oh. <laughs> into. Yes, indeed. You know, your gold ring may have the uh, the gold of a of a robbed pharaoh's tomb. Who knows? It's a crazy <laughs> business, but uh, it has definitely been around for uh, thousands and well, for millions of years. But the the gold that we've mined for thousands of years definitely uh, stays around, doesn't corrode. So that's why gold has been uh, past base money. Then we have uh, the, the global monetary base, which is the top 30 floating fiat currencies as reported here, uh, 29 trillion. 
29 trillion is the number. I don't think we even said that number yet. 29 trillion dollars. I'm not saying, you know, there's uh, more popular accounts than me that have higher trillion dollar number figures. I'm not saying that 29 trillion dollars is like the number. I'm not saying that 29 trillion is, you know, Bitcoin is definitely going there. Or it's definitely uh, that's that's the one. I'm just saying economically from a U.S. dollar equivalent, it's about $29 trillion uh, is the global monetary base, which is the basic money that central banks settle with, uh, commercial banks settle with. It's, it's, it's the economically comparable money supply to Bitcoin. So that's where Bitcoin sits there. And then just a little kind of a sidebar again, uh, thanks to the Cambridge uh, finance folks who do their uh, electricity uh, hash rate index, consumption index there. You see that it's roughly, I think, what did I put there this time? I didn't, I didn't, I think I put it in the tweet, but it's, it's a little over a hundred uh, terawatt, terawatt hours of, uh, of uh, electricity that Bitcoin is estimated to use at the moment. And there we go. Go down, go down. world consumes roughly 23,000 terawatt hours. So it's interesting to me there that Bitcoin accretes very much faster against traditional money supplies than electricity spend. Which is again a con- that, you know another interesting contrary indicator which you don't typically hear. No, and it, it actually thank you f- for bringing this up and highlighting this particular stack because it's like one thing, obviously the energy fund's massive fund for Bitcoin. But if you look at any uh, like efficiency stat in terms of like the the amount of energy spent to produce a Bitcoin and to facilitate transaction ordering uh, and and the addition of blo- new blocks to the ledger, it's gotten it's it's gotten extremely efficient over time. Like in terms of joules per terahash spent, like the the amount of heat needed to produce the hashes to uh, produce blocks has has gone down significantly. Like mining is getting more and more efficient from from a heat density mm. perspective and from a from a value moved per terawatt hour uh, expended by the network, if you will, uh, and yet. The, the, that's another thing. Everybody's so fucking lazy. Nobody actually wants to like dig deep to understand how any of this works, whether it be the monetary base or uh, how Bitcoin's energy expenditure uh, is is moving a significantly more economic value with significantly less energy over time. Yes, in aggregate, more energy is being expended, but the value moved. Uh, per block is is going up significantly, and that that energy usage is actually trailing that metric. Honkies, man, honkies. No one <laughs> wants to do the do the due diligence. I mean, come <laughs> on, it's just basic. Well, uh, well that's like uh, all right. We'll we'll keep going. I, we'll save it for the end. So I've got thoughts. I've we got love sidebarring. I know. Um, you yeah, tell us so where to next, go. Well, you tell chart. us where to go, and then. So 16? Yeah, this is this 16. 16 is good. Um, so this is, again, this is why you don't look at M2 or M1 or any other money supply. All of those include bankers' claims, right? All those include, you know, checks. Checks are not based money. That's a banking instrument. That, that, in, that includes the market interacting in finance. Uh, that wouldn't be comparable to on-chain Bitcoin. So that's another reason. You know, credit cards, debit cards, all this stuff. Credit cards, debit cards, by the way, aren't even part of the money supply, any money supply. They're not part of M3, not part of M2. Uh, they're a loan, an Excel spreadsheet between you and, you know, Visa, MasterCard. Uh, that thing is not settled and it doesn't hit the money supply until you pay off your credit card with your checking account. Then it would hit M1. 
but even then there still could be a revolving credit balance that's a that's a debt that's a that's that has nothing to do with the money supply it stays there of course you know it could be good productive debt could be bad consumption debt or you know some mixture but that has nothing to do with the way that bitcoins work has nothing to do with it at all and by the way in case you forgot uh, i know you haven't marty but you know credit cards aren't settled instantly yes the merchant sees something on their phone or their app or their whatever little dashboard in their store you see something on your phone but nothing happened there as far as money transfer it was just someone saw that they got some money on an app you saw that you paid some money on an app you have a balance to pay off 30 days later the merchant didn't even receive any money from visa and mastercard probably for at least another week that's not instantaneous settlement all right so stop saying that you know visa mastercard's 3,000 transactions per second is what you need to compete with. That has nothing to, first of all, it's not basic money. First of all, it's not money at all, debt. And when it hits the money supply, which is M1, all right, when it hits, when it hits M1, when you pay off your credit card bill, that takes a month, might take two months, <laughs> might never do it. It's not basic money. It's not even bank, it's not, it's not uh, it is, that's what you call bank money would be M1. But it's not basic money. It's not state money. It's not the monopoly money. That's the money that compares with 21 million Bitcoin. So again, that's a little tangent of why you look at this money supply compared to the others. And this money supply, you're not going to find anywhere else in here. Very happy. Sorry, it sounds a little arrogant to say, but I am a little happy to, to compile that for you. Uh, clearly, you see those big four there, the dollar, the yuan, uh, the euro, and the yen. Um, there's the big four. And then you can see just barely in the in the light blue the formerly great british pound there is the, the fifth largest currency it's a trillion pounds bank of england's printing press and then the remaining 25 currencies are in purple there so uh it's quite a uh pareto distribution as i guess many things are in life um but these are the basic money supplies this is how central banks settle this is how commercial banks settle this is the basic money supply that would that is the supply that we compare with 20 million Bitcoin. So we're about at 29 trillion. And you see the big jump, obviously, there since 2020 because of COVID. Um, you know, governments like to go crazy in response to other non-transparent governments and other problems that usually are brought around by governments in the world. Uh, the money supply has increased by roughly 30%. So r- roughly 30, 30% of all cash printed uh, ever has happened in the last two years. So that's another takeaway from from that. Well, for you freaks who are watching the live stream and can see this chart on your screen, uh, maybe for you freaks who aren't listening on a live stream or listening on like a podcast, I mean, it, we'll, we'll put the, the link in the show notes to the thread that we're talking about. I highly recommend you pull it up. Uh, this is tweet 16 in the thread. Like, look at this, look at this, gr- like, I'm trying to think of like extrapolating this forward. Let's say like another ten years. Like, what does this chart look like? Can you like this? Yeah. This two thousand that that inflection point in two thousand where it goes up and it starts getting fatter. Does that look like the nineteen yeah. seventy side of the curve? Like <laughs> in ten years? Like, is it even noticeable? Yeah, um, yeah. it's roughly. I, I'll keep in the the, the nineteen seventy part does not have all thirty currencies. Just many central banks didn't didn't post at that point or you know, didn't get transparent about much. I would keep trying to improve the history, but roughly you're looking at, you know, again, this is non-inflation adjusted, but 
in the economic sense, but you're looking at, you know, 200, 250 billion dollar equivalent <laughs> in 1970 and now uh, 29 trillion today. Now, an important question here regarding price inflation or whatever uh, that always is brought up is what does that number mean? Because that's something that's I, I address this later, but let's just talk about it now. So still looking at this chart, you see if you see 200 uh, billion dollar equivalent is basically the pot of central bank money in the world in 1970. Yes, we've gone off gold at that time. A lot of other things have happened bad at that time. You know, U.S. spending way too much money in Vietnam and uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing in Vietnam. Um, that that whatever that that's that's a whole other thing, obviously. But that was that was the reason why I went off. Sorry, that was yeah. that was another reason why we went off gold is because you know, De Gaulle and uh, many other countries started to claim on that gold. So. In any event, uh, it, it was a much uh, smaller pot of base money then. Now you see that we have 29 trillion today. So what does that mean? How can we tell, uh, make some sense of that number? And it's not simply because I told you that not all the data sets go back to 1970. So I can't just do like a, you know, simple exponential formula well, there. I have to I have to look at each one individually, and, and then blend the average. And then on top, if you of look that, at each one individually for the period that it exists. Look at the monthly growth, uh, raise to the 12th exponent. Basically, you make a compound growth number. You'll find that that is about 12.8% per oh, year. Shit. Clearly, much more of that has happened in recent years than earlier years, but that is the number. What that means is uh, if you look at any of those currencies blended together, uh, their initial balance, they would... Uh, they would increase at 12.8% per year, which would also mean that they would double every 5.7 years. So 5.7 years. So 12.8% uh, is a lot higher number than you would hear on the news. And 12.8% uh, basically means a little over than a percent a month is the growth <laughs> of the base money in the world uh, globally since 1970. And yes, I grant that um, a lot of that is obviously it's weighted towards the top four currencies, their action. Um, but even just what you said earlier, Marty, about look at, you know, try to imagine extrapolating this. If you see the big bump in 2008, which doesn't really look like that big a bump anymore, but that was a huge bump at the time. You know, you went from a couple hundred billion to over a trillion in the United States uh, monetary base in 2008. Um, this is again where I try to be precise. A lot of people were always talking about printing money, printing money. This is printing money. And you see that the United States in 2014 did try to taper all these things, the taper tantrum and uh, trying to cut their, uh, trying, trying to, you know, uh, austerity, all these other things. They were trying to bring things back in line to normalcy, stop the quantitative easing and everything. That is post quantitative easing in 2014. And indeed, from 2014 to like 2019, they did not. In the United States, you see that green line, the monetary base did not go up. So you would have never heard me say that we're printing money at that time because this is the definition of printing money. And that's just how, they, that's how it was. That's what they were trying to do. Uh, interestingly, it never went negative or never, you know, it was always inflating uh, overall, but it did not go up. And um, then we see what happened, obviously, with COVID. Uh, it just exploded again. This is, this is you know, not a good thing, but this is what they know how to do. And uh, trillions and trillions of dollar equivalent base monies, you can blend it all out to where it's uh, about 12.8% uh, per year since 1970, which is a huge number, actually. It means, you're, it means the stock of your money doubles every 5.7 years. Pretty insane.
And it seems like, again, this week specifically, I think Powell came out yesterday and said taper probabilities have gone down significantly due to the Omicron uh, variant. Uh, I think that's more of a scapegoat. They're, they need to print more. Uh, I think that's another thing we can touch on. Like They need to print this money, correct, to, to service the, the interest on their debt specifically. Yeah, I mean... That, yeah, I, I've heard different estimates. This is another thing I want to want to really get a handle on is to actually show people the amount of interest that uh, government debts have each month, each quarter, each year. Show the amount of tax revenue and, and those things. But that's that's a while away. To be honest, I, I I have some more interesting comparisons that are probably coming to leave a little bit of a of a nail biter or whatever if people really care about this. But I, I do think that yeah, when you when you start to see that the amount of uh, taxes that go to just pay interest on the debt, which is again, mostly monetized again, like not mostly, but a huge portion of it monetized again, 20, 30% each year by the central bank. You see that it, that's just an insurmountable problem. They not insurmountable in that they can't kick the can down for years and years, but it just doesn't make sense, no. uh, without it's some re revaluation. That's a that, literal that, that Ponzi scheme. It's, it's a Ponzi scheme. Um, and then before I forget too, another thing to mention is why I'm very happy that you're collecting this data and putting it together and publishing it quarter on quarter on quarter. And I think this is something we should highlight too. We were talking about lack of transparency. It's not only lack of transparency. You've talked about on your podcast in the past, what was it? The bank, uh, the central bank in Argentina used to go back and like change the numbers, um, <laughs> retrospectively. Yeah. 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 That there was um there's many that sort of they do this more with the broader money supplies they keep revising them uh that argentina one it might have not been as big a deal as i thought honestly before but uh it is it is it's changed i i've noticed that as well with uh with the um what's it called the entitlements some social security things that the mm -hmm. u.s treasury has posted just again i guess it's better data coming in but you know, if I'm looking four or five years back from a data set that I'm downloading and I look again uh, at that same four or five years back, which shouldn't have changed, it kind of changes. So, yeah, different methodologies. I don't know how all that's working there. But this one, to be, to be fair and to be clear, this one should not change because this is like, yeah, they're not transparent. Yeah, we don't know all of their accounts. But if you're going to show the monetary base, like that is a number that how can you not have a hold on that number i mean that is the that is the main thing that you are in charge of is printing money like you are responsible for monetary policy so how can you really not know that you know the monetary policy uh number and to be fair to be fair most of the time that number doesn't change with governments i, I might have even overblown that argentina one to be fair but uh, uh, argentina actually interestingly shows major hyperinflation periods you know they round them yeah, I don't know how accurate, but it's pretty interesting to see Brazil and Argentina. They really do show those periods where they've reset the currency. <laughs> they show like massive, massive uh, inflationary periods. It's, it's kind of interesting to see. And of course, sad for the people that have to go go through it. But yeah, they this is an interesting point to make just again, is that this this data should be accurate. It's, it's definitely not blockchain accurate. It's definitely not, you know, Bitcoin balances its budgets, its budget every 10 minutes, as I like to say. Uh, it's definitely not as uh, as accurate as, as that, but it's it's decent for what what we can gather. Yeah, and uh, now that you mentioned, obviously it's not funny. 
think hyperinflationary instances in Argentina, Brazil. I think this has happened since you posted this update, but what are your thoughts on what's going on with Turkey with the lira right now? Uh, have you been following yeah. that at all? Uh, similar, similar thing. They've, I've noticed, uh, I've seen it reflected in the numbers as, uh, as the months have gone by. The political situation tenuous in that country, and um, you know we'll see it. Uh, I, I don't really, I, I haven't looked too much in depth more other than just seeing the numbers inflate and seeing what they've they've uh, been doing there. But um, that one is also interesting because Turkey does not, I need to find, that's one I need to, uh, that's an example of a, of a bank that I need to get more accurate historical data on beyond, I guess, from the horse's mouth because Turkey Central Bank, I know that they've done a big devalue. Um, so yeah, that's a dollar exchange right there, obviously important as far as the strength of the currency um, that we're looking at, just you know, falling off a cliff here um, is, in recent Is days. Turkish Central Bank similar to Iran, where it has to follow um, Sharia? Well, because I know, you, uh, I know the, No, they the, don't. Well, I don't, know, I don't know for sure, but they don't. Uh, Turkey always seems like the one that they're trying to be more like Europe. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's fairly, you know, they, they have like daily balance sheets. On, on one side, it's pretty transparent, but then on another side, I know they've had a major devaluation in recent years. Can't remember the year, and it's like normalized. It's it's averaged out. They haven't shown it like Brazil and Argentina have. Twenty eighteen, so, <laughs> by chance. Uh, Looking before at that, it was the one before that. It was might have been like twenty oh eight or something, or okay. 20, I don't know. But but um, the the Turkish lira. Uh, I mean, I'm taking their data. It's it's all I've I've done, but. I think that numbers would be even higher for Turkey if you look over. So that the numbers that I'm having, let me find it on me. So they're, you know, they're and they're floating currency as you as you see. So I, yeah, it goes back to 1980, their data, and uh, since the begin date, the Turkish lira has inflated 44.5 percent per year. Oh, 44.5 percent per year. So that's a doubling every 1.9 years, and I believe it's probably even higher because definitely the devaluation I'm talking about was in the 2000s. I, I just don't see it the way, like it doesn't look like Brazil and Argentina's look where you have, you just show the actual ramping up of actual units and then you show the resetting where they slash zeros to a new unit. They don't, they don't do it. They're doing some weird normalizing thing. And it's, it's, it's uh, I can tell you most central banks seem to be a little bit better than that, but. Anyway, it's you still get a number that's pretty, pretty high. Uh, again, unfortunate for for them that they have to you know rely on their savings with that currency. Yeah, well, I mean, spreading. Yeah, what, what have we had? We had what is the the currency Lebanon? We've had uh, uh, Lebanon. Not sure. Lebanon isn't on here. Uh, well, I'm just trying to like this year alone. We've had hyperinflation. Lebanon. Uh, we're, it seems like, uh, I don't know if it would technically be considered hyperinflation yet in Turkey, but they're having crazy high inflation. Uh, I believe Brazil is having a crisis as well. And that's always been one of the theses of Bitcoiners is uh, what you're going to see. And again, Bitcoin is not forcing these things to happen was just being descriptive of the conditions of the monetary 
environment in the world and all the printing going on, like all these weaker fiat currencies are going to begin inflating uh, f- rapidly and in, in, in first, and then, then it's going to climb up the board to the, to the quote unquote stronger currencies from a relative basis. And I, I think this year alone, we're beginning to see that happen more uh, to more currencies than, than have been exposed to that in years past. Like obviously we've got Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Argentinian peso, um, Belarus, Belarus. Um, uh, in the past, we like one-off instances, but it seems like 2021 specifically has had uh, a number of currencies fall to, to high to hyperinflationary uh, environments. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And um, the, unfortunate thing actually is like i don't know there's so many so many hours in the day but it would be uh it would be interesting to track those specific you know going back and, and that eventually would be the goal is and look at zimbabwe from the stable years to the non-stable years and actually show the monetary base increase but as you know with like the hundred trillion dollar zimbabwe just start cutting uh, zeros bill yeah like uh if I were to do that and try to make it to have any meaningful impact on the rest of this analysis, the global impact would be so minimal. Like all of these currencies, like literally they, they, they inflate to nothing. So there is, if you would put a U.S. dollar exchange rate, which you'd have to get a black market rate to get any meaningful rate, it would be even lower than the published rate. And then once you get that black market rate and apply it to the dollar, it's literally going to round to like nothing. So it's no, it's no impact effect on yeah. the on the uh, table itself as far as, you know, like it's, it's just like, it's interesting to see, but it would only be to see, um, you know, the increase and just, you know, the, the sad story that it was, but it, w- it wouldn't really even change the global number that I told you was about 12.8%. Um, so it would change it, uh, but not just not, not much. Not material. So that's another like challenge is trying to get all these currencies together. And I'm more interested in the future uh, in actually going back and getting the currencies that I have, like I, I got to pick apart the euro now because the euro I was only counting started in 1999. Um, I know that the German Weimar inflation data is out there. Most of the time, when people talk about Weimar in Germany, they're talking about prices, talking about like again a made-up kind of thing, which might be kind of accurate at some point in the day. But I mean, it's a chaotic chart to try to just to try to put real CPI increases but that's what you see usually when you see weimar data it's very hard to find the actual increase of the monetary base um i know the data is there but i haven't i haven't uh gotten it yet so if anyone wants to point me to that please do but um those things i'm more interested in adding is like some of the larger the larger currencies that have also failed and adding that into their own time series as things move to the for- to the present because you can put them all together you can look at a body of work from a country, uh, Brazil is a good example of that. They publish a lot of good data back to the 40s and 50s, um, and you see where it is. I, I only start all the data here in the 70s, so it's a little bit different than my database, like what, what you're going to be looking at there. But yeah, I mean, these are, you know, Brazil and Argentina in particular, the way that I'm uh, looking at this, it would actually be higher if you did the regular compound growth formula. But the way that I'm doing it was monthly average growth to be consistent. And when currencies reset, you have to just drop the month that they hyperinflate. But um, Brazil and Argentina, uh, since their begin dates, are over 100%, both of them. It's like shit. kind of the body of work. It's the body of work of, the, of those currencies. Uh. So 
Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, sorry, why am I? It's 101% per Argentina and 99.7% per Brazil. So that's the body of work since 1970 for both of those, for both of those central banks. And uh, literally counting the pesos on pesos and the real and the cruzado and whatever other currencies that they had back in the day. It's not, it's not using anything to do with the U.S. dollar. It has nothing to do with the U.S. dollar or exchange rates or anything. It's literally the units on units that are printed. That's what, that's what that means when you see those numbers. So it's, it paints a grim picture. And again, why, you know, no one seems to want to report on this stuff is interesting. Right. But. It seems like, again, like money is the most important tool that we use in, as humans. And nobody seems to take a step back and be like, what the fuck is going on with all these monies around the world? Like, what are we doing? Shouldn't this be like a, a, a very, a, a, something that we focus very heavily on to make sure that we don't mess up because it, it plays an incredible uh, factor in, in our quality of life and our ability to accurately price uh, goods and services in the economy. Like, and that is the basis through which uh, human interaction, uh, probably not the basis, obviously you have familiar relationships and stuff like that, but if you want to interact with people outside of your your little circle, you're going to have to interact in an economic sense and you want to make sure if you're doing that, that you're, you're doing that using accurate measurements. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody seems man. to care. Philistines. Right? Absolute Philistines. I mean, it, it's, there's just so much bluster. The data is there. Um, it's, the data is there. And I, I, I think... What do you mean by Philistines? Explain that for the freaks out there, maybe. Oh, it's just, I mean, it's the, it's the way to describe the uneducated heathen that comes into your land, which is kind of funny, actually, because I believe the Philistines were more uh, advanced than the Canaanites and the Israelites, which they, uh, they use that pejorative term. You know how you call someone a Philistine, just like yeah. some honky, like, you know, he's like coming in and like ruining your, uh, ruining your, your lands and stuff. But I believe the Philistines were like, they were like Greeks, basically. They were seafaring people, so they were good at shipbuilding. They had a lot of, their, their pottery was better. Uh, so it's an interesting twist. Uh, yeah. It's strange. The Philistines are uh, usually painted as the brutes. But regardless, I'm happy to use that term and then use it on anyone who thinks that they're educating the public about the you know, value of our money. It's just, it's, it's incredible. It really yeah. is incredible. Yeah, as a as a Catholic, um, yeah, yeah, I I usually revert yeah we to, read about the Philistines all the time. Yeah, right? and, uh, I, re, I I like heathens though. I like just kind of get out of here, you heathen. Um, that's that's my go-to. Oh, I I don't mean it. I, I I'm uh I don't. It's not a uh, religious. It's not a religious uh, like no. bigoted term. If that's where you're going, it's it's. I mean, it's at it's least I, I see it used in regular like journalism all the time. I don't know. Is, is heathen bigoted? No, I'm saying I'm saying Philistine is you. You yeah. said oh, like I don't use Philistines. Like uh, I don't. Oh no, I just no, think no. it's a funny word. It's a funny. No, I, ch I choose word heathen, to call heathens over Philistines. He heathen uh, is very. Uh, it's very uh, safe. It's a yeah. safe word to call a uh, Philistine. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's get back. We're, we're, what else should we highlight uh, on this update in your mind? <laughs> I love that there was a picture of the Red Sea there for a second. 
<laughs> or the uh, Mediterranean Sea. Um, uh, let's just go down the, the list. Um, so you got the money supplies. You show different supplies of all of these. Uh, let's do 30. <laughs> 30, yeah. You're yeah, on. Here we are. Great. So this is trailing 12 months. So this would be September uh, month, you know, month ending uh, September 2021 compared with September uh, 2020. Uh, the actual, so you don't have to worry about a complicated definition of compound growth, which is basically just annual growth, but compacted in, a, in an easy to read way or easy to follow way. This is definitely not an easy read chart, but this is literally all the countries in the monetary base, plus gold, plus silver, plus Bitcoin, the trailing 12 month growth of their native units. So you will notice Australia and Australia, Canada- Australia, what the fuck are you doing? Are insane uh, the past couple of years. Um, Canada beat Australia a little bit to the punch. It was, you know, earlier in 2020 when Canada exploded. Yeah, Australia in the last year has really, really exploded. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I haven't really looked into that. I don't know why, if it has to do with some of the authoritarianism that's kind of happening in Australia, if they feel like they just need to pay for, you know, all the public workers and nobody's coming to work or pensions or whatever, uh, you know, entitlements. But, um, that literally is the monetary based growth, uh, year on year. And so you see some major ones for, um, for you freaks at home, I can't see this chart. It's 184% year on year. Yeah. 184% year. That's straight up year on year. Aussie dollar, September 20, uh, September 21 balance divided by Aussie dollar, uh, September 20 minus one. And that's 184%, uh, growth. Uh, and then if you go down to like in the middle, you actually have some that have fallen. So Canada really was like crazy. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm looking at this now. Canada is negative 8% now, but they were like 300% if you looked at the same chart like three, like six months ago. So they've tried to cool off a little bit. <laughs> Tapering a bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, Norway is an interesting one. I don't know if it's with their pension fund or whatever, but they, they, they have huge fluctuations. Nor Norway is the most volatile monetary base. Sometimes it's really positive and it's really negative. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it has to do with their oil fund, which is, I guess, for political reasons, not an oil fund now. It's like some... <laughs> futuristic bullshit tech fund or something. But yeah, anyway, I should just call it an oil fund. Uh, and they got silver, Bitcoin, gold there in the middle. Uh, silver, contrary to most people's understanding, it actually does inflate slower than gold, but um, I don't know, it's just generally how it works. Um, so gold is about 1.8%, silver is about 1.5% typically, roughly. Uh, and then Bitcoin, uh, at that, in this chart, is just below uh, golds, so year on year, just below, just below golds, whatever it is, two, you know, one point eight percent. I'm rounding it up to two there in this chart. Um, yeah, and, th and this was, this was put, this is September. year on year, so it's post having 2020. So we should we should expect this growth rate to be static until Q. To 2024. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna drop down and a lot more because this is yeah this is not like a daily growth. This a lot of people will even show you a lower growth rate than Bitcoin right now, but this is straight up. Uh, it's lower than it was last year, but it's not as low as it will be because it's it's got to it's got to smooth out from that happening. So yeah, it's one point one point seven seven percent. 
5th of September, 2021, September 30th, 2021. So yeah, we're at a point now where Bitcoin is growing slower than gold. And by itself, like, you know, a lot of people have recognized that, talk about that. That's, that's um, <clears throat> maybe not necessarily something to write home about, but when you look at what Bitcoin does a global system, the people that it helps, everything else we talk about. Uh, I think that 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 uh, number has a lot more meaning. And so I think that um, it's going to be very interesting to see, as you said, go back to look at that uh, top 30 chart, like the chart, it's an area chart that shows everybody stacked. I mean, who knows what's going to happen after a year, after 18 months, we know that Bitcoin's going to be, you know, down in the percent, you know, percent range of, uh, of annual growth. Uh, so this again shows, um, not again, but this shows a summary. We don't have to spend too much time on these things, I think, but comparing the same things we've talked about, the different growth rates. Uh, I do have, I do have a figure there, which is about 60% compound growth of Bitcoin since its inception. Because I have all these currencies since their inception or since the earliest data, right? So you got, got you know, uh, most of the big currencies since 1970, some of the smaller ones, Singapore, whatever it might be, first data 2000 or something, 1990. And then of course you have Bitcoin in 2009. And if you did look at, you know, there's many ways to calculate it. But if you looked at 50 Bitcoins in January 2009, to 18.9 million Bitcoins today, yeah, that's that's actually a pretty hefty growth. So I do report it just to show it. Like, mm -hmm. that's about 60%, 60% growth. So think about the numbers before. But obviously the difference, Bitcoins, Bitcoin's money, like unlike any other money in the world, unlike any other money we've ever seen, we know the future with Bitcoin. We know how the protocol will work in the future. And that 60%, basically for the next 100 years, 120 years, which before it turns to zero, is uh, is like 0.1 percent per year. So um, that's that's obviously it, it, this slide is just to show that you know just to hash that out a bit more and to understand that uh, there's there's some differences uh, that you need to take account to take into account with Bitcoin. And yeah, it might have started out a little bit faster than uh, than you realize or you don't understand why it stood out, started out that fast. But until you know <laughs> for another 120 years, it's gonna be like 0.1 percent. I'm a, I'm I'm a believer in that the, the supply schedule of Bitcoin was perfect. Like I think you needed that aggressive initial supply dump, fifty percent of the supply between block zero and two hundred and ten thousand, just to to get those early adopters incentivized to to build utility on top of the network to to drive value to the token that they were they were mining. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Do you think? Uh, Anything about the the aggressive supply schedule that Satoshi wrote into the code, or you think it's yeah? A, I mean, it is it is what it is. Um, the fact that it hasn't changed, I think, is the more important thing. Um, I, I, other people have said this, and I, I think that jury is well. People still argue about it as well, but like, if it were a smoother, you know, schedule without the disruptions every four years, I wonder if that would be more interesting, or or is it better to have the hype cycles with each happening? Um, I kind of think from a, like from a general economic perspective, like it might've been a smoother, smoother, like just less negative press maybe, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And we <laughs> no. know that 
that uh, the way that the network handles these happenings is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty smooth and pretty, uh, pretty joyful for Bitcoiners all around uh, the world to see there. Uh, as Satoshi said, well, Satoshi said that, I guess, in the context of people losing coins, but, you know, um, you know, that, that basically their, their uh, representation of their wealth clearly goes up when, when the supply schedule drops like that. And you know that it drops like that because, ba- again, basic supply and demand. You might not be able to draw that demand curve. You may not be, draw- be able to draw where the price is, but at least understanding the supply, which is what I'm trying to do here with all the fiat currencies, that can be pretty important, understanding the value of the asset itself. So, um, yeah, it's a roundabout dodge to your question, I guess. No, I like that answer. And like you said, there's a... Uh not only there's nothing we can do about it. Like it's there. Like not only does it not matter, like it's just, uh, the people who like to (coughs) debate about it. It's a fun, like mental exercise, but it's exactly that. Just a mental exercise. There's nothing that can be done about it at this point. Um, you can, what if, what about all you want, but this is what we've been dealt and let's work within the parameters that Satoshi put forth. And I, I, I personally, Think it was very smart. Uh, I'm a fan of the aggressive supply schedule. Uh, I, I would make the argument that it, it incentivized more development and uh, evangelism than, than otherwise would have happened if you had a smoother schedule. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, many good points. I think to that to that as well. So you're not you're not really thinking about Litecoin schedule too much. No, no. Um, all right, where should we go next? And then let's get on to like how shitty the world is because I'm like <laughs> shaking in my, right. like, uh, I want to talk yeah, about so this. Uh, yeah, you, so there's you, that annual one. Again, we just talked about it, but you see that line across. That's the, that's the weighted average of the asset uh, for the last uh, 11 years, 12 years. Um, and then every year, again, th- and this, those specific formulas are monthly. That's monthly growth compounded to the annual. So it's, 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 uh, that's not the same as what I just said before, trailing 12 month. You know, this is, mo- this is a very specific way that I'm doing it to show the comparisons across all these other currencies, especially currencies that are restarted. And you can't, I can't look back into like 1975 to compare the Brazilian Corzado to the Brazilian Real today. So you have to, you have to look at monthly growth and then ignore the month where the currency dropped off and slash zeros. That, that's why, that's why it's done this way. But, um, yeah. And, and for you freaks listening at home, I can't see the chart. Uh, just to give some perspective, the compound annual growth rate of the Bitcoin supply in 2009 was 2,893.8%. 2010 was 211.8%. 2011, 59.5%. I think you can see where you have it. It's going down significantly. And now as we stand today in 2021, it's 1.8% compound annual growth rate. Um, so obviously, like we've been discussing over the last 10, 15 minutes, um, due to the nature of the aggressive supply schedule that Satoshi uh, embedded into the protocol. Uh, we had very high compound annual growth rate from a Bitcoin unit growth perspective in the early days, and that's going down exponentially um, over time. Uh, again, 2,833 percent, 93% in 2009, uh, and 1.8% in 2021. Yeah. So it's good points. It's always, it's good to talk, I think, a little bit about that early supply curve yeah. and uh, why it is what it is. Uh, you can look at uh, slide 39. It's actually back. 
And I think from there, uh, it's probably good even for this update, but slide 39, tweet 39. Thank you. So that, that is, uh, that's 50 years, 50, 50, uh, two years, one of 52 years here since, uh, this, uh, since gold ended as, as a global reserve currency, as a global reserve asset. And this is just fiat. Um, so in the earlier years, you only have maybe 15 of these 30 currencies and in the later years, you have all of them, obviously. Um, talked about this many times, but this is the, this is the global weighted. So in this particular slide, you will have a USD weighting of each country's respective monetary base. So I said, like, it's really hard to kind of add something like Venezuela or, or you know, Venezuela in bad times or uh, Zimbabwe or, or Belarus because, um, because the, the USD weight of those money supplies is like just basically drops to zero. So it's like, it's not really factored into the global, you know, global monetary base. But for the large currencies and the mid-major currencies, all of the USD value of their monetary base at a particular time is included in here. And yes, I am using for currencies that are a little bit weaker, like the Iranian real or the Argentinian peso, I am using black market rates to get an even better rate, which is a worse rate, um, it, typically, than the central bank rate. Is the so, Iranian a real or dinar? Uh, real. real. It's the Iraqi dinar. Ah, uh, the Iraqi dinar. And I will have actually, sidebar again, um, well, I'll hold that point. I'll hold the point. Never mind about that. Uh, so, so with this chart, um, you see, again, just even before, like even when you were in quote unquote normal central banking periods, all right, with this chart, uh, you're just looking at a bar chart here, basically 50 years. Um, if you look at gold, you look at silver, you'd see very consistent. Uh, Bitcoin's obviously a little bit different. We just talked about it, but you see consistent, you know, 1.8%, 1.7%, 1.5% growth rates. In this one, even in normal central banking periods in the 70s and the 80s, um, you know, it's 10, 11, 16%, 18%. Uh, it all hovers, interestingly, around what it still is today, the global average, which is about 12.8%. Uh, and then in Y2K, there was a scare. People were taking cash out like mad. So Y2K, 1999 is, is the biggest one. It was 34%. Uh, and then in 2000, I guess they were trying to correct it. So it's like 0% <laughs> growth. And then um, 2008. So 2008, the big, the big uh, global slide. That was the largest one that I've calculated on records 45 percent global increase in that year of the global monetary base you know weighted by u.s dollar equivalent of all those currencies but this is not like just taking the u.s dollar exchange rate this is taking calculating out all of the growth rates in the native units in euro it's a different calculation okay so it's in euros in yen in yuan uh in singapore dollars and then once you get all of those rates weight them for the period of how big that monetary base is. So then you get like 45%, which is, in my opinion, it's as real a number as you're gonna get as far as how the supply of money grows. Uh, you know, the QEs continued on 2011, Eurozone crisis, Greek crisis was 32%, and then last year, COVID's 35%. Um, so 35% was, uh, was basically the second largest increase. Uh, and, and right now we're holding, holding firm at about 18% this year, uh, compounded. We'll see how the year finishes out, but it's about 18%. I think uh, it could end higher. It could end much higher. Um, it definitely, 
Definitely could. And again, not a not a great thing for people that have to deal with these currencies. That's why we tell them to buy Bitcoin and all that stuff. But again, it's just I think it's important to just have some empirical, empirical inductive evidence that can show us um, that can show us what we're talking about. Like this is, you know, this is not something brand new with governments, you know, devaluing and printing their currencies a bit too much. And if you look at it globally, uh, they're fairly large. And by the way, that to, just to compare the 12.8% that I told you the global weight, which is doubling every 5.7 years, the US dollar in the same amount, the same time period in the same 50 years was 9.3%. And that has picked up since I started doing this even in the last three years, obviously. Um, it was like low eights, I think when I started. So 9.3% for the US dollar itself, the monetary base of the US dollar itself, which is 7.8 year doubling. So it's not like that much better. And you can see with doubling time, which is also I have that column in the summary chart, which is way at the end of this presentation. Um, it's important to look at doubling time often. That will help you if you're not into finance or if you're not thinking about these growth rates or if you already turned this podcast off after I said this. Like looking at doubling time is a very helpful way to understand what these percentages mean. So maybe check out that column as well if you want to compare. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's all relative too. Like you said, the, the continental growth rate globally with all the currencies indexed over time for a particular year, 12.8% US dollar, nine, 9.8%. Is that what you said? 9.3. 9.3 in 50 years. Yeah. But it's all relative. It's funny that like that's like you said, it's a, a doubling what every 5.7 years and and 7.8 for the dollar. And 7.8 for the dollar. And like that, that, that 2.1 year difference, the dollar gives the dollar so much more relative strength to the rest of the world. <laughs> it's still a shitty money at the end of the day. Yeah, the best but, looking horse in the glue factory, as they say. Yeah, right. And it's, uh, but people cling on to that relative strength and our politicians and central bankers here in the United States. Um, they're clinging on to that relative strength, that, that cleanest turd on the top of the top of the pile of shit. Oh yeah, Hillary Hillary Clinton uh, just came on came on that. Did you like yeah. her comments? I didn't hear if you I'm sure you Bitcoin may be that. the only thing that Hillary Clinton can't kill. Um Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Uh, she, I think she finally met her match. I think she finally met her match with Bitcoin. It's not going to end up on her killer list again. Have <laughs> <laughs> you used that already? No. No. The freaks heard that. That's really uh, good. Uh, <laughs> good luck, Hillary. Oh my God, honkies, all of them. Honkies. <laughs> uh, all right, so this one is actually really good. This one is really good. Uh, I forgot about this one. We can we can finish on this one. Uh, what number is that? 64. Sorry, I'm on my phone. So sorry for the. So right now for uh, all Matty is looking this up on his phone, we're looking at the power of compounding. Um, and so here's what the tweet says. One more way to view all this again, understanding compound growth is key. The curve is mathematical. Everything will fall on it based on its growth rate. Einstein said compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. This is why. What is your preferred monetary asset? Yeah. So. Again, uh, CPI is political opinion. Um, 
demand, you can't really graph demand. I mean, you can you know see sales or something, but you, you can't really graph a demand curve. The best thing we can do is, is uh, graph a supply curve and then see what happens there and make some inferences there as if the demand actually matches that asset. Um, and this, so this curve, basically, again, this, as I just said, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with sort of the way that, uh, you know, returns work or IRRs or yields and maturities, all of it is a comp, that's a compound number and you can, you can derive doubling time from that number. So if you do that and you plot that, you will get this, this chart. It's, it's detailed, so I look it on my phone. I can't read it on the screen. I'm sorry, maybe you can't either, but we can read you some things. So everything will be on that, on that, uh, that, that curve. It, has, it just will be on that curve, uh, yield to maturity. So uh, an example would be, look at the, the third bubble, which is the second green bubble up from the bottom. And that I, I took this, this is where I am quoting a price target. This, is, this has happened since the 90s. Uh, I think New Zealand was the first bank to do it, actually. It was the central bank, the typical price growth target since the 1990s. Some central banks say this is policy, which is hilarious because, again, they just make up the CPI numbers. Some say it's recommendation, like the Fed. You know, it's, not, you know, it's whatever. But it's, it's usually 2%. It's usually 2%. That's the number. Uh, that's been the number. So 2%, by the way, even though if you think it might be like a great number to hit or whatever, you know, you want your inflation to be 2%, that's still a halving of, you know, a having of your stock of your principal in 35 years. So 2% will double in 35 years. Yeah. So one, that's, this is, uh, this is also the rule of 72. You can think about as a quick way to do it. So it works very well with 10%, but, um, so, so 1%, uh, will double every 70, 72 years, 2% 35 years. And then, um, you just basically, you take 72 divided by the percent, but forget the percent sign. So the, the most perfect with the rule of 72 is, is 10%. So 72 divided by 10, 7.2 years to double. So that's, that's what's shown on this, uh, this chart. So then obviously if you get to those higher bubbles, it's everything we just talked about. U.S. Federal Reserve, 9.3%, eight-year doubling. Um, Bank of England, 11.1%, six-year doubling, which we just talked about. The Swissy is 11.6%, six-year doubling. And the global monetary base, the very top one, is 12.8%, six-year doubling. So you see that curve. You see how this stuff works. Like it's markets, like they work here with, with power. They work in power curves with, with interest. So this is, this is, just shows you how quickly the stock can just float away from you <laughs> like, if you have too high of a growth rate. And then, of course, I show uh, from now until the next 700 years, Bitcoin is basically at a, uh, it's at a 700 uh, plus year growth rate schedule right now, right now for Bitcoin. And of course, uh, or sorry, not right now, but until the, until it finishes, until it finishes that 0.1% that I, re that I referenced. Uh, the 0.1% is actually a 700 year doubling time. Uh, so that's, that's one point. But then of course we know Bitcoin is very interesting because the Bitcoin system is very unique. So even the growth rate that it will traject on for the next 120 years, it will not, it's not allowed never. to double per the, per the protocol, per the community, as we know. So Bitcoin is very unique uh, in that way as well. So that's where I have that Bitcoin highlighted. It's, you know, it's at a 700 year doubling time, 0.1% growth. And, um, you know, so again, if you're talking about holding wealth, storing value, preserving capital, you want to look at the ones that have the lowest growth rates. Um, versus the ones that have the highest. And by the way, if you're looking at bonds, coupons, dividend yields, all that stuff would fit on here too. 
So if you're looking at where the global monetary base is increasing 12.8%, but the US dollar monetary base is increasing 9.8% in the last 50 years, those are the types of rates, not the 2% recommended central bank price inflation of you know, what they think that the prices will inflate at, which is still a doubling, you know, a halving of your wealth every 35 years. You're going to have to be looking to break even. You're going to be after looking from a return standpoint, a yield to maturity, way up that curve, which is pretty damn hard to get these days, as we know, with you know, zero percent interest rates, very low percentage interest rates. Those are the percentages you're going to have to look at to beat the, inf- the rates of inflation, the, of the monetary inflation. I'm very, very specific. I'm not talking about prices. This is not prices. But you know, yes, there's going to be some demand for these currencies as time goes on. Let's see how much. So you, you might not get a full 12 and 12.8% inflation globally. You know, there is a demand for cash balances. But you, know, you can see, obviously, where I'm going with that. Uh, the trend is, is, is pretty much on you know, the yeah. Bitcoiners side there. Uh, it's, it's all fucked. You, you see this, how far <laughs> up the curve those currencies are yeah. and how quickly that curve goes against you. And again, if, for you... Uh, for you freaks listening at home, can't see the chart. You know, we're, again, we're going to link to this thread in the show notes, uh, tweet number 64 in the thread. And it'll just get, like, acutely highlights like how insane it is that we're doing this. Again, like uh, you said, 35 years to double at what the Fed has deemed historically as their inflation target. Uh, your purchasing power will get cut in half over 35 years. And just think of that. If you are somebody building towards retirement and you're just keeping savings and cash in a in a in a savings account at the bank like the money that you save uh in 1970 is going to be the purchasing power that's going to be uh, you're going to get 50 percent per dollar that you saved uh in 1970 in t- 2005 like that's you go to retire and it's like holy shit i can only buy half the things i could have bought uh when i made this money in 1970 and then that's another point i really want to hone in on here and highlight is just the, the fucking double speak of the Fed's mandate. They, 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 they actively target this 2% inflation rate to create price stability. Like, is that not the definition of double speak? I would say it is. Yeah. Like, I would say it is. You're, I'm going to create that's price what, that, stability. This, this is, sorry, just one, one quick thing. You know, Ron Paul spoke about this a lot is, is that they, you know, the proverbial day, it, it, it is misleading to you to believe, you know, dear consumer, dear taxpayer, that 2% is like sort of a good thing. That's, that's purely coming out of, you know, their, uh, their entrenched interests, their, you know, monetary uh, monopoly that they have, where they say, okay, don't worry, uh, 2% is, is a good thing. We need this for growth and so on and so forth. People need need to have some inflation or we're not going to have growth. They use all these things. Meanwhile, they don't tell you that, you know, that is a halving of your purchasing power every uh, every 35 years, 2%. And it's much different than even 1%, which would take 72 years. And again, by the way, you know, gold is 1.8%. So gold is, it is what it is. It's been that 1.8% for the past couple hundred years. But, you know, those numbers are kind of close, at least what gold is, what they tell you. And, you know, gold, if you look now at prices, you will see gold has gone up much more than 2% over the last 50 years. I believe it's something like 6%, 7%. So, again, you see a difference there between purchasing power, prices, 
and the growth of the of the money base. So again, if they're telling you that it's it's two percent, it's probably not. Uh, it's probably not what they're what they're saying, and that's what this chart is uh, is alluding to. And then, of course, if you actually look at what the uh, supplies are inflating at, again, the traditional definition of inflation, the growth in the stock of money, it's much higher, uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 uh, percent. And it's probably only going to get higher from here. Like you said, when you started calculating this, the U.S. dollar, uh, when you started calculating this three years ago, U.S. dollar was in low eights. Uh, compound yeah. annual growth rate in terms of monetary base supply. Now it's nine two. Uh, nine won't three, be yeah. nine three. Won't be surprised if it gets into double digits in the next couple of years, uh, and then beyond. And so, again, going back to chart sixteen, tweet sixteen, I believe in that chart. Like extrapolating forward a decade, two decades. I don't think like none of these currencies are have purchasing power. Like. It's, yeah, it's like, you know, this is why Bitcoiners are, you know, diamond hodlers. I mean, you know, why, you know, why would you want to sell, or again, not investment advice, whatever, but why would you want to sell back into one of these currencies? Yeah. Unless you need to you know, buy a house and, and you can't pay Bitcoin for that house. But I mean, this is, this is, we're talking about generational hodling here. And this is the money supply that's going to show you that. Yeah. And even if you do want to go to buy a house, like we just wait, you're going to be able to use your Bitcoin as collateral to lend against to, to get that house. Yeah. So Michael Saylor style. Just wait, just wait. All right. On to the dystopian life. I've got to get a haircut here in like 15 minutes. So how much time do we have, Carl? What time is it? Uh, 11 o'clock. Yeah. I've got till 1130. I got to bounce. Um, one. First of all, how are you? talking to me yeah i'm talking to you i'm great man i mean i'm i'm uh you know as as well as i can be here in eastern europe worried about you know belarus and and you know russian autocrats breathing down our necks here yeah um, what's going on edge of the european onion what's going on uh we're all right no i want to hear it from you i want to hear your what you were gonna riff on and and uh well i'm actually have you been we certainly are you particularly um what I want to talk to you about, have you been following like the uh, who Biden put up and uh, nominated for the office of comptroller of the currency and her thoughts on No. Oh, man. Oh, I and I've been not, honestly, I've not been following a lot uh, just in the last weeks of U.S. because the COVID situation is so annoying because also got family travels coming up. And anyway, sorry to you definitely <laughs> fill me in. So uh, President Biden has nominated a woman by the name of, I believe her name is Saleh uh, Taz- Tazmarov. She's from Kazakhstan. She went to the University of Moscow uh, while attending the University of Moscow. She won the Leninist Award uh, for her ne- economic theories. And she's out there um, uh, basically saying that she wants to nationalize all the private banks in America, all the commercial banks, and fold them into the Fed and have the Fed essentially just be everybody's bank. Uh, everybody will have consumer deposits at the Fed. Uh, the Fed will granularly control capital allocation strategies, uh, barring people from allocating capital towards things like fossil fuel development um, and, and extraction and, and, and essentially nationalizing the banking system here in the U.S. Uh, and, and giving the Fed full control of, of every monetary aspect of our lives. I thought you would have been on us. 
Uh, it's again, I'm not, there's anything I can do to avoid news like this. I do recently, but that's, it's my bad. Uh, it, it, it is set up. It, it's another thing we haven't t- I've talked about this in other shows and stuff, but it is search Sole, uh, NIA, um, in Twitter and see if the video pops up there. Yeah. She wants to create this national, um, institutional asset bank or something like that. Um, the, the way that this CBDC talk is setting up, CBDC, by the way, is a monetary base, be a sort of a third rail. So you have physical currency, then you have bank reserves, which is basically every bank's account with central bank, and then you have CBDC. Uh, if, if CBDCs take off, I think that there are the, the two ways that that could go. If the central bank only is going to administer it, and be like the place where, you know, like you have the Chiva wallet or whatever it's, you know, called. you have your own central bank, monetary authority, government wallet. That is a very bad sign for the banking system. That's a very bad sign for the just nationalizing uh, everything anyway, which we're on that path and many other, uh, many other things have kind of shown us that in, in finance and, and unfortunately other industries as well, but the regulations are just out of control. That's very bad for like a lot of interests. I mean, because the central bank does exist not only if you know for the state or the sovereign or the king in the old days, but also exists for the entrenched entrenched interests. So it does exist for the banks. It does exist for the banking system, for those that have the monopoly to you know take deposits and and print money. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that we would just completely do that, like where the Fed would. The, I mean, just let alone you know the consumer nightmare. I mean, governments can't run it healthcare website i mean what how are they going to do this this endeavor with you know the most important asset that is ron pulses one half of every transaction we can watch this if you want yeah that's why i think this will give you a better perspective on the idea here to imagine what would it be like if instead of being just a public option for deposit uh, banking this would be actually the full transition in other words there will be no more private uh, bank deposit accounts and all of the deposit accounts will be held directly at the Fed. And there are very interesting implications uh, from that thought experiment, for example, with uh, the much more uh, direct and proactive tools of monetary policy, like helicopter money, which is uh, you know, considered radical primarily because uh, economists really do not know how to manage the issue of what will happen in the inflationary environment when the central bank needs to contract the supply of money? How is it politically feasible for the central bank to effectively take money away from uh, people's accounts? To imagine what- It's not even like a full thought. That's a video? That's like, this is not a joke? This is not a joke. This is who's up to be the the comptroller of our currency uh, here in the United States. It's, and this is like it's hilarious to me. She had the uh, the Hillary, Hillary, please don't kill me. You can't kill Bitcoin, but you can try to kill me, and uh, you're pretty successful killing humans. So I have a family. Um, the uh, like uh, I completely forgot where I was going. Um, well, let me just let me. They, they funded the yeah. whole Russian conspiracy, like meddling in elections, and in, in yeah. our and we legitimately yeah. have somebody who went to the University of Moscow, won the Leninist Award, and is up to nominate. Is up to be the the comptroller of the currency, and yeah. I don't think. Uh, luckily, I don't think she's going to get through. But like nobody is mentioning like Russian meddling 
in this regard. You have like a full on, yeah, like coup, color revolution agent, speak. like here pushing this stuff, and it's like, what the fuck is going on? Honkies everywhere, man. I mean that that's that's some serious, that's some serious shit right there. Like if you if you really talk about nationalizing the U.S. banking system, I mean, in some ways we're on that route. Like if if the debt is unserviceable uh, from the government side. Um, like it could be that, that, that might be like an, an option at some point on the table that literally tried to just nationalize everything, uh, and go full on communist. Obviously it's going to be horrible. It's going to be good for Bitcoin, but it's gonna be horrible for so many people. Um, that's really, really, really not good. Uh, I do think that if they get this CBDC thing off the ground, which I also don't have much hope in that, because again, they can't even run a healthcare website. It will probably be administered by the banks like that you know the, the banks will be a custodial for cbdc and um you know however it is obviously it's closed source but however you know you need the banks to work out the customer service issues and whatnot it's still something that is not any genuine innovation obviously it's not non-custodial and um you'd have uh you just have nothing nothing really interesting or different than what we have uh, today, other than you'd have some physical cash that instead of being physical in your wallet, it's digital. Um, I would be interested to see, you know, how the reserve ratios work with that. Are, you know, are banks going to be able to lend on that? Because that's going to be technically base money that's in their coffers. If it's in your digital wallet, you know, and, you know, if you think you have that money, do you really have that money? Um, all sorts of questions. But yeah, I, I, I honestly... I, di I didn't think the CBDC thing would fly. That would be the one way where I could see where you could nationalize. Because like, if you have a CBDC, there's no reason to have a CBDC that's administered by the central bank. Like, again, let alone the nightmare of consumer <laughs> service problems that you're going to have there. Um, I, I just, that, that's a nationalization of, of the currency because like, you would take the banks out of business completely. I mean, if no one want to put their money in banks, people can start doing payments just with their crappy Federal Reserve app or whatever. If it worked, um, that's a that's a major blow to the financial system and a very big step towards nationalization. But again, like I said before that rant, I just see the the central bank existing for the banks and existing for the entrenched interests. There's way too many entitled mouths to feed within the halls of government. I don't see that's a, that's an extreme like communistic step. I, I just see if they do get there with the CBDC, I see that happening. Um, administered at the bank, the banking level, same, same stories we have today, entitled chartered banks that are going to monopolize your and act poorly and not give you good customer service anyway, but at least yeah. a step, a step Away. above being nationalized. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this all seems to me again, growth rate of the money supply. There seems to be panic, if you will. Like why would like the fact that she's even up for nomination, like yeah. to me signals that something's terribly wrong behind the scenes. And they're like, we need, like, if we want to keep some semblance of control, we need the her to go out there and throw out these crazy ass ideas. And then like people be like, oh, whoa, what's this? It's like, no, we'll, we'll come like a little further towards the middle of the spectrum um, and just do this charter bank ministered CBDC. And then people be like, oh, it's better than that. Like, are they just putting somebody so insane out there um, <laughs> to to just set us up for uh, 
being okay with a CBDC that is not okay at all still. Uh, it's, it's relatively less bad than a full-on nationalization of the Fed and having to use your Fed app as your only bank account. Um, but it's just crazy talk. I mean, this is why I can't follow news like this, man. That's why we got to just Bitcoin. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little bit like an ostrich this year because of just, you know, the travel restrictions. Like I said, it's, it's I, I, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating right now, but this is just, just reading this, this abstract is just crazy talk. Yeah. And there, yeah. So for freaks at home, the abstract, here's the first couple of sentences. The COVID-19 crisis underscored the urgency of digitizing sovereign money and ensuring universal access to banking services. It pushed two related ideas, the issuance of central bank digital currency and the provision of retail deposit accounts by central banks to the forefront of public policy debate. To date, however, the debate has not produced a coherent vision of how democratizing access to a central bank money would and should transform and democratize the entire financial system. This lack of a systemic perspective obscures the enormity of the challenge and dilutes our ability to tackle it. You would, de- I mean, you would destroy financialization of the economy, lending, lending productively. I mean, I'm no fan of banks. I'm no fan of big charter banks. That's why we're Bitcoining, right? But the, the, <laughs> if you just have all the cash in a Federal Reserve wallet where this lady's going to decide if we loan it out or not. I mean, this is just, this is just insane. It's absolutely crazy talk. Well, and again, you want to talk about Russian meddling and like Cold War tactics, like. Yeah. So blind to. Just get somebody in sides. here to throw this stupid ideas out and be like, oh, she's smart. She won the Leninist Award. Let's, uh, let's let her nationalize the Federal <laughs> Reserve. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> has, has anyone like on the mainstream pointed that out? I think only Mainstream Tucker media. Carlson. I think uh, only Tucker. Um, He's doing a decent job, yeah, actually. I, I, I don't think know. There's many freaks out there who thinks he reads the bent. So he has been exposed to uh, your, your uh, monetary base update, well if this is true. Well done. And they right. think. They, we can't confirm. but um, That's cool. It's Very cool. A, it's, uh, it's fucking insane, dude. We need Bitcoin. Like, uh, we can't stress the importance of Bitcoin. Like, this is freaks. Anybody new to the Bitcoin world, new to TFTC, who's just tuning in, like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this is why we need Bitcoin. Like, you literally have this centralized uh, behemoth, interconnected central banking government money system uh, that is seemingly looking to converge into one global monetary system that is very granularly controlled by the powers that be these entrenched incumbents these these rent seekers and that is literally without bitcoin that's the only path forward uh that we'd have other than going back to a a a manual gold standard which is highly unlikely where we get bitcoin where we can get back to sanity we can build on sound money that is peer-to-peer that is distributed that cannot be controlled by any of these rent seekers i'm heated I love it, man. I love it. <sighs> I don't know where I want to go from there, especially if you got a haircut coming up. Mandatory um, vaxes, man. They're, they're coming. Get get the jab, get the booster, where you can't buy food. That's the other thing. My neighbor was showing me, he went to Paris. He got the vaccine and he uh, he showed me his vaccine passport. He's like, yeah, every time I went to a cafe, like I had to show this. It's like you you were in France showing papers. And that was like one of the memes uh, yesterday I saw on Twitter. It was like a 
1940s France, the Nazis checking papers, uh, yeah. and today France, police checking yeah. your Vax Pass as you sipped uh, coffee at a cafe. It's fucking you wake think, up, people. You would think that Europe uh, would have sort of thought to not slide back to sort of some tyrannical mandates. Uh, but somehow Europe is uh, leading the charge there. And actually, it seemed to be that the United States is like one of the last bastions, of, and not every state, but many states. <laughs> That's why I moved to they're Texas. Some of the last places where they're... That's why I'm fucking sitting here in Austin, Texas right now. I was not... I You're love right. where I'm from. I love the Northeast. My family, friends, people up there, but there's despots up there, man. They're fucking dead set on... <laughs> Seriously. Like... Are you finding some freedom down there? I am. I am. Find a freedom, find a good producer, um, good friends down here. If, if shit hits the fan in Latvia, Ohio is actually holding up pretty good too, but you can come. <laughs> you can come, back, come down to Texas. Yeah, it seems, it seems uh, good. It, it's, I've, I've been almost slightly jealous of some you know, intellectual capital that's gone down there. It's, it seems inter- like an interesting place now, you know, and, um, uh, it's a bit, it's a bit dicey here in Eastern Europe where I am. So we'll see, we'll see. I got you know, new family here myself, and um, you know, new father, and uh, I, not sure what's going to happen, honestly. But uh, on my side, I'm, yeah, I'm, as 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 much as you're worried about your tyrannical government, I'm worried about those, uh, those tyrannical dictators just across the border here, not too far from me in Belarus and uh, in Russia. So like, yeah. there's a lot of. Again, not the people, not the people, but the actual dictators that are running the show, controlling the state media, all that stuff. It's just, it's very, very dicey. And uh, obviously there are many other countries around the world where people are dealing with this, so. Yeah, well, it's so crazy. It's like there's a collective amnesia, and especially, it's especially crazy considering the information and the access to information that we have with the internet. And in fact, we have conversations like this you're in Lafayette, I'm in Texas, we're fucking zooming in right now, not zooming, e-camming, whatever. Uh, and people forget. Like This was like two generations ago that this shit was going on. Three, maybe two and a half, three generations. There, yeah. We had World War II and all that crazy shit going on. And here we are, 2021, just literally repeating step by step. Show me your papers. You're not going to yeah. be able to eat. Like I saw, was that Belarus or Latvia where I saw the supermarket had like a cage uh, or a fence down like supermarket aisles, like separating the vax from the unvax? It's like, oh yeah, that porous. It might have been there. That porous, I don't know. Uh, um, that porous fence is really going to stop the virus from getting over to aisle two. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, I don't know. A lot of people talk about this. A lot of people uh, have opinions. I don't, I don't, uh, I try to I try to keep it positive with this uh, with this monetary base stuff because it's honestly it's a way that I I can sort of construct the uh, the world as it is as I said as some em- empirical induction where you know we have a lot we have the intellectual capital the logic and the reason you know the theories but this is this is some pretty hard evidence that shows you where it's going. Um, and how about this witch convicted criminal Christine Lagarde, <laughs> the lizard. <laughs> Uh, did you see her comments? Is Bitcoin is no way a currency? I I mean, if she submit, said a lot of ridiculous things about Bitcoin, um, and they're yeah, it's coming. They're going to try in Europe to ban all um, 
I think I think eventually they're going to try to ban non-custodial wallets. Yeah, uh, in Europe. Yeah, AML D five or six, whatever it's on now. They're going to try and right. use that. <sighs> I don't think they're going to win. I know they're not not going to win. No, but like that's the thing. Like, we're going to have to put up with some shit between. Yeah, we're in. Yeah, these next few years are are really going to be dicey and um, just need. I don't know, man. Need some elevation of consciousness. Need right. some. Uh, need some people microdosing or doing some something that you know, gets them out of feeling that they need to uh oh yeah this joker fuck it fuck these people, i mean man. we're looking at klaus schwab now for anybody at home honkies absolute honkies. a story like let's paint a story here i'm here with the uh, in dubai painting the narratives for the future that we're going to dictate from this world economic forum room like yeah highly recommend microdosing uh to anybody out there increase your consciousness and then as well like and i'm guilty of this as well don't let the fucking media and the politicians divide like the, the, you're, what you're seeing right now globally is fucking textbook Goebbels divide and conquer propaganda tactics and it's working beautifully and here in the states we yeah. had the kyle rittenhouse trial uh we, we've had um the guy the vax mandate is the maxwell shift. trial even getting getting any coverage in the states no dude no apparently uh yeah. like the only way that the public was able to uh, access the trial was the call number and they could listen to like a recording of the live trial over the phone but apparently yesterday that even got cut off at some point um of course you have, you know, I believe you have james comey's daughter as the the prosecutor in that case you have some weird judge and you have Bloomberg out here trying to say, uh, it, <laughs> asking the question, uh, is, is Maxwell herself a victim? Um, car, you how gotta go possibly it's, if anyone has go to my page car on that case, how could uh, they possibly, possibly think that she down. would be a victim? Because, Again, it's like it's it's like right in front of you. Like they do this shit out in the open, like blatantly, transparently. Again, in an attempt to gaslight, I would I would imagine. But it's like holy shit, like they're doing it in real time. Uh, Bloomberg obviously tweeted that out, like oh maybe we should like think of whether or not she's a victim or not. And then somebody replied to that tweet with this, which is just fucking perfect. <laughs> like. He's fucking, he's fucking hanging out. Michael Bloomberg was fucking seen with pictures. All these people, dude. Like, it's like, how is it? Like, Man, I got to get on Twitter more. It's, uh, oh, it's dude. A, well, Jack left yesterday. But I mean, even with all this, like, isn't the censorship getting like pretty bad? Like, I, I, as most people probably know, uh, I'm, you know, mostly just tweeting this monetary based stuff. I'm not on there too much, but like, uh, is the censorship getting like just so out of control that it's unbearable on Twitter or is it? Uh, it's turning up, it's turning up a notch. Um, actually they just announced today you can go back to my page and like, it should be near the top uh, car. <laughs> That's a funny one. <laughs> uh, it's like these people are fucking so out of touch. It's like the internet doesn't forget and unless they like censor everything, but, um, yeah, right there. Hit the, the quote, the quoted tweet there, the disclosed TV. Justin, Twitter banned sharing images or videos of private individuals without their consent um, today. Uh, so, like, you're not going to be able to, like, uh, many people are saying you're not going to be able to, Project Veritas isn't going to be able to do 
and post their undercover journalism to Twitter because the people don't have consent. Uh, mm. Others are saying like, wh like, what if you have like a video of a protest going on around at some point, some part of the world right now? Like, is that going to yeah. get banned from Twitter? Like, yeah, that's what Carr and I were talking right before we, uh, you hopped on the stream here. Like, all right, like, how are we going to, we're going to get kicked off of YouTube. Definitely. Uh, potentially Twitter now that Jack's not there. Uh, I believe that Jack was like holding back this fucking rush of, of censorship the yeah. best he could. And now that he's gone and now the way it's, uh, it's not going to be pretty. So it's full on Pravda, man. I mean, it's just spelled, it's sowing the seeds of their own demise. All of these companies eventually, I mean, this is like, this is what frustrates me about, again, all, all that Russia stuff in the U.S. is like a lot of, some some legitimate, but the, the, the whole thing just misses the point of, we've seen this story before. And, you know, with what you see even now with crazy Putin, Lukashenko, like the very first thing bent. they did, the very first thing they did was get control of media companies in uh, when they when they uh, took over and they have nationalized all media companies. There's no free press. Um, everybody watches these awful state propaganda uh, TV channels and it's just, they're not in a good place right now. They're trying to protest. I'm a big fan of what Alexei Navalny was doing. He's in jail, um, not doing well in like some political prison in Siberia, Gulag. It's awful. Yeah. And it's like, again, like this has happened so many times throughout history. It's happening right now. We need people to recognize. Let's go down to the, the Bastiat quote, like right there. When plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men living together in society, they create for themselves in the course of time a legal system that authorizes it and a moral code that glorifies it. Like we are living through this right now. So from Frederick Bastiat. Um, it's the definition from, of monopoly, by the way. Yeah. That's and it, what it, a monopoly is. And it's happening. That's what banks are. It's happening here in the United States. Like you had the banks, obviously, again, you had this two-tiered society, the ruling class, the political class, the banking class, the media class, get away with murder, the Kantian effect, uh, insider trading, and just being able to outright lie uh, with little to no repercussions. And then slowly over, but surely over time, like you have that, that moral decay at the top and it leaks down to the bottom. And so now you have laws in cities like San Francisco, Oakland, Philadelphia, uh, many other places where they're just not prosecuting petty crime. And now here in the U.S., I'm not sure if you've seen this, but um, oh, I shouldn't have shared that tweet. Uh, but you have these flash mobs of people understanding that, the, that since they're not going to prosecute petty crimes, they can just fucking run into like a Gucci store or whatever, pillage it, plunder it, and and get away without being prosecuted, without having any repercussions yeah. from legal system like, institutions institutions are really straining stressing falling apart like you know if, uh i mean there's good arguments on both sides of this things about like the police or whatever like the damage that they've done in the past their racism in the past but like on the other side how many handful of you know is, is it a handful of bad apples or is it the whole system i mean i don't know that's a whole other you know well, it's a cultural fish, thing where I think yeah, the whole system now, the whole institutions, like they're not trusted and they're not coming to serve their function. And if you just gaslight everybody, um, I don't know, it's, it's not, it, it definitely seems tenuous. And the hysteria, man, the hysteria, uh, it's just like, I'm, I'm a big fan of World War II history. And, you know, my family had to, you know, I'm a product of, you know, the millions, millions of Eastern Europeans that were exiled from 
from Eastern Europe and came to the uh, wonderful United States. And it wasn't easy, by the way, when they came. It's not like the Statue of Liberty was literally standing there with open arms. You know, that, that poem, you know, that give me your poor, your tired, your meek, or whatever. Uh, it's not exactly how it was. You, know, you had to work your ass off. Yeah, um, yeah inflation was better uh, at those times. But, um, you know, it's just now, I mean, now it's, it's, uh, it's just unbelievable that we have to repeat some of these just awful government mandated tyrannical policies that got us uh, to where we were in the first place. And, you know, I, I know what you mean by those memes and those like segregation memes and all that stuff. Like it's really, it's definitely disheartening. It's disheartening, man. Well, hopefully again, access to information like this, conversations like this helps us expedite uh, the overthrowing of these despots uh, globally. I really hope that. Like, there's going to be dark periods ahead, but hopefully I uh, had Matt Hill on the podcast last week and the way he described it was just short in the darkness as much as possible. And we have to get this information mm. out there. We need to educate people. People need to want to be educated. And luckily, I think uh, due to the fact that inflation is actually high price inflation specifically, people are beginning to feel it in their pockets. They're, they're looking for, for answers to why their, their purchasing power is diminishing so quickly, which should lead them to ask questions about the money, which should lead them to ask questions about the fairness of the monetary system, which should lead them to Bitcoin and freedom and figuring out that uh, maybe it's not your neighbor um, who, who looks different than you that's actually that's causing the problems. It's, it's the ruling yeah. class and these, these people who have control of the most important tool in the world, which is money, that, that are causing all these problems. Too right, my friend. As Ron Paul said, you know, money's one half of every transaction. And uh, it's, of course, it's going to be important. It's, of course, they're going to try to control it. You shouldn't think otherwise. Uh, so I can't really finish it off any better than you did with those quotes. So I appreciate it, man. Hey, I appreciate you. I'm happy for you. Congratulations on um, joining the Fatherhood Club. It's a great club. Thanks, man. Thanks. Really appreciate it. We're, we're definitely stoked. And hopefully the grandparents can actually make it over here. Uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, it's, it's an unnerving time, man. It's yeah. unnerving. And if they do make it over there and they come back, you should just like hop on the plane with them and move to Texas. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep you posted. I'll All keep right. you posted. Good luck in Texas. Thank you. Good luck in Lafayette. Yeah. Um, All right, brother. Let's, let's do it again next quarter. We will. We will. As always, uh, we're going to link to everything in the show notes. Um, uh, just the, the Twitter thread, uh, anything you want to, point the freaks to before we wrap up here cryptovoices.com slash base money cryptovoices.com slash base money yeah we have charts like that and also the base money stuff uh website will be getting updated to faster and more interactive charts eventually hopefully soon but uh it's not promising anything anytime soon so cool. <laughs> well, any, any of you freaks out soon. there who like this content and have uh, some development prowess and, and want to help out maddie yeah reach out be happy to hear it as well thank you for that um, all right, that's all we got this week, freaks. We'll we'll be with Maddie again in a, in a few months to go over uh, Q Q four twenty twenty one. Until Sounds then, good man. Peace and love.